It's good to be here, everyone. My name is Daniel Rush. I'm the missionary of Korea, and you can be seated. I told Pastor earlier that I'd like to share a testimony about Korea. He has made the statement here right now that he doesn't want to go to China, to the Asian region. Let me tell you a little bit about the Asian region. I live in a country about the size of Illinois. We have 52 million people in that country. When I look out my window for every square mile that I see, there's 7,500 people. I live in a city named Daejeon. The metropolitan area only has about 2 million people. Whenever we first came to Korea, there is a national work there. There's not very many churches by Louisiana, Mississippi standards. There is 38 churches in that entire country, churches and preaching points. And when we went to Korea for the first time, my wife and I as appointed missionaries, we lived in a place called Seoul. We lived there for six months. The Lord had already told us that we were not to stay in Seoul. There's 25 million people there, but there's 13 of our churches and preaching points are right there in that area. And we knew we wanted to go somewhere where there is not a church, there is not a person teaching the Bible study, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the truth that we know it. And so we started praying, we started asking people, what, how, how should we do this? How, how do we proceed at this point? How do we know where we should go? They told us, they said up at headquarters, they said, go find a city, a population city of, a, of at least a million people or more without a church, without a congregation. You may think, well, that would be hard pressed to do in the United States, find a city of one million people with no church. And we visited five cities before we chose one when we stopped that. And the thing about Daejeon, South Korea, is when you look at that map, when you look at the, the road map of South Korea, there's a little dot in the very center, the geographical center of that country. And a, it has a traffic ring around it. And all the highways go to this point, and they go to their various locations wherever they at. And the Lord had his hand in placing us there because from my house I could be anywhere in that country or three hours and less by car. But when we showed up, there was no one teaching Bible studies. There was no church there in that country. And so we started working and we started doing our language study, attending the local university. And the Lord, he opened the opportunity for us to start doing language exchanges with people. One of the good things about language exchanges in the Korean culture is one of the first questions they ask you when you meet them is, why are you in my country? And I get to tell them I'm a missionary. And they will say, well, doesn't missionaries, don't they go to Africa and bore wells? Don't they go to poor countries and teach them how to farm? I say, yes, they do. But they also bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to people that do not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I said, I'm here to tell the Korean people about a hope of salvation that can be found in the one true God. And his name is Jesus Christ. We started having these meetings and we've been meeting people for two years now. The Lord has given us a group that is starting to formulate, to pull together. We're still doing one-on-one -on -one meetings in our church plant there in Daejeon, South Korea. But one of my friends, I will tell you about my friend named Banya. You see, Banya is not a Christian. I, I met Banya and he has no faith. He's not Buddhist. He's not Christian. He's, he's non-religious. 
And I was busy at the time. It was right before we came home. And Banya messaged me on the uh, language exchange app. He said, I'm looking for someone to meet me for language exchange. Would you be interested? And I told him, I said, no, I, I can't. I'm too busy. He wrote me back and he said, I would really appreciate it. He said, I have been trying to find someone who would meet with me and not, no one will meet with me. Then he tells me, he says, I have a kidney problem and I have to take dialysis three times a week and so my time is very limited of when I can meet and most people can only meet at certain hours and I can meet during this time and I was hoping you could accommodate me. I wrote him back. I said, I will meet with you one time. We'll see how it goes. And I met with Banya. We sat down. There was an instant connection. We was great fast friends right away. And Banya, he's on dialysis and his, his health is very frail. And sometimes he can't even meet because of his health issues from the dialysis treatments the day before. And I, I returned home. I, I was meeting with him for only one month. I returned home to start our deputation process. And it was Christmas time. So I messaged all my contacts. I told them all, Merry Christmas. Banya wrote me back and he said, I hope it's a Merry Christmas for you, but it's not going to be a Merry Christmas for me. I said, why? What is wrong, Banya? What seems to be the problem? I said, is your kidneys giving you trouble? He said, no. He said, I went to the doctor and the doctor told me that if I don't have a surgery, an emergency surgery, I will die. And I said, is it your kidneys? I said, is a transplant not going to come through? He says, no, it's from previous surgeries. My throat is constricting. It hurts me to eat. hurts me to drink water. He said, it hurts me to breathe at night. I wrote him back. I said, Banya, we will pray for you. I'm going to a prayer meeting right now. I said, and I will request the church to pray for you that the Lord will touch your throat. We went to that prayer meeting, a very small church. It's my father-in-law's church. He pastors about 25, 30 people. And we met at that little prayer meeting, and I stood up and I told them, I said, let me tell you about my friend. I said, we need to pray for him because he is worried. I said, and he doesn't have anywhere to turn. And so we're going to touch God on his behalf tonight. And we started to pray for Banya. It's a simple prayer. I called Banya three days later when he was supposed to go to the doctor to get his admitted papers to the hospital. I said, Banya, what did the doctor say? When will you be admitted to the hospital? He said, I received a good report. He said, when I went to the doctor, they told me that the swelling is starting to go down and they're going to be able to treat it with medicine alone. A surgery is not necessary. And I told Banya, I said, that is a miracle from God. And Banya, the one who is not Christian, he wrote me back and he said, yes, it is a Christmas miracle that has happened to my throat. And Banya, the Lord touched his throat. He provided him to be able to stay home with his family over the holidays through that New Year time that he was worried about. And I'm believing God to heal Banya with his kidneys. That way when we stand up and we're in need of a translator and Banya stands beside me and he starts to translate what the word of God says and people will ask and they will say, are you, why do you believe that Western religion? And he can say, let me tell you what God done in my life. And he can share his testimony and people will know that Jesus Christ is real. He is able to touch our lives today in this very hour in which we need and we have that's how the Lord's planting the church in Dajon, South Korea. We're excited to be a part of what God is doing.
Pastor, if you come and go with me to Korea, you might fall in love and you might bring your family there. The Lord is at work and we need workers. The harvest truly is plenteous. At this time, I want us to go to the word of the Lord. If you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 38. Pastor has mentioned my dad is a pastor himself. And we have been, this past two weeks, this past week, this week, I've been spending a little time in the Mississippi area trying to do some maintenance on my motorhome, my car, various things that you run into when you travel. So I've been able to spend a little time with my dad. We was talking about Easter, talking about the word of the Lord the other day. And the, and the Lord put this message on my heart. I feel as if it's for someone here in the house today. And I want us to look at this. Luke chapter 23, verse 32. It says, There were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said, Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They parted his raiment and cast lot. The people stood beholding the rulers also with him derided him saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he be Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription was also, also was written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Today I have titled this message, Jesus Changes Grave Situations. Let's lift our hands to the heavens and let's ask the Lord to bless the remainder of this service. Lord Jesus, I worship you today. I praise your holy name. I thank you, Lord God, for allowing us to come into your house, Lord, to feel your presence, to know you, Lord, to the power of the Holy Ghost, God. Lord, I ask you to anoint the ears to hear, Lord, the word today. I ask you, Lord, to anoint these lips to speak, God. To let your word not return it to you void, but let it accomplish that which you have set it forth to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's give a hand clap of praise to Jesus. You may be seated. Truly there is a, a, a very real presence of the Holy Ghost in the house today. Today with this message I have, you know you think that we just came through Easter, we've heard a lot about the crucifixion. We heard a lot about the days leading up to the crucifixion. Many pastors, they do a series talking about Palm Sunday and different things. And, and I was thinking about my mind a lot has been working on and thinking about the crucifixion and what it means to us as believers. And as we open this message today, we find the Messiah, the King of Kings, God Almighty. He's robed in flesh. He's a Savior to the lost. And He has lived His life on this earth, days leading up to this particular day. He has made a group of friends. He has risen in popularity wherever where he went. Crowds, throngs followed him to see the miracles, to hear the teachings that he would do. 
And all of a sudden he finds that the tide has changed and shifted and, and, and the people are not as embracing to the message that he is giving. And here this is an accumulation of that lack of, should I say, the accumulation of the loss of popularity, I guess would be the best way to say it. Jesus Christ, he has been Betrayed by one of those who was closest to him. He has went, he has endured a mock trial under the cover of darkness. And, and lies have been made against him. Accusations so that they might put him to death. The soldiers, they have deemed this, his, his crimes worthy of death. So the soldiers have taken him, they have tied him to a post. And, and they have flogged him mercilessly. With his whip, ripping his skin, tearing his flesh and Blood and running down his back. And if that's not enough, the soldiers then take this man to a common area. I don't know about you, but I am a, tend to be a modest person, especially now that the Holy Ghost has come upon me. I tend to like to say a little bit more modest than others may in the world. And they have taken the Messiah, the King of Kings, and they strip him of his clothes. They take a scarlet robe, lay it about his back. Someone has plaited a crown of thorns, place it on his head. And the soldiers are walking by and they're hitting the top of this crown with these sticks as they are driving the spikes down into his flesh. And they are crying out, Hail, King of the Jews! Mockingly and spitting on him as they do so. Then if that is not enough, after this punishment that he has endured, they lay his cross on his wounded back and they compel him to carry his own instrument of torture and death to the hill where he will die. And there he will be crucified between two thieves. It's a very grave situation. Death by the most horrific means known to man of the day. Usually the crucifix was reserved for the very worst of criminals. It was reserved for those who had, who had tried to, to overthrow the Roman government over Jerusalem itself. And, and this is reserved for the worst of the criminals. And here is Jesus Christ, an innocent man, a man who has done no wrong. All he has done is walk around the streets and teach people hope and give them hope and to heal people and to cast out demons. He's an innocent man. I want us to go to Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. One of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. And the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. And then he turns to Jesus Christ. And he says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus says unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Here are two thieves hung beside Jesus Christ. We focus on how the suffering that Jesus Christ endured. 
And it was terrible, terrible stuff. But these two men had endured the same beating, the same ridicule, the same carrying of a cross to this hill. And they will ultimately suffer the same death as Jesus Christ. And one of these men, he, he is in great pain. And he hears the soldiers as they, as they make mockery of Jesus saying, If thou be king of the Jews, free yourself. If you be so powerful, you saved others. Why don't you save yourself? And he joins in. And he says, Jesus, if thou be the Christ that you claim, save yourself and save us as well. This thief, he had lived a life of crime. He had lived a life that was worthy, deemed worthy of the cross. But all he wanted was freedom. All he wanted was freedom from this current pain and suffering that he was in. He wanted the freedom and the liberty to return to the life he had lived before. The life which led to his crucifix. But the other man, he also has suffered the same punishment, the same torture. But he had the realization that the deeds, the lifestyle I have chose to live is the reason why I'm here. This is the reason why I'm being punished. And then he understood also that Jesus Christ was innocent. He understood that this man who was between me and the other thief, he has done nothing. He has done nothing to receive this cross. And here he is. He is hung just like I Instead of taunting Jesus, he asked Jesus to remember him. And because of his repentant approach, because he was willing to say, our own deeds is what landed us with his condemnation, Jesus tells him, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Whenever we come to God, and repent. We had to be very aware of the reasons what drove us that altar repentance. Many times we have what we call a jailhouse conversion, if you will. People are in great pain. They're in jail, perhaps. Perhaps they, they're seeing their marriage crumble. Perhaps their life is not going their way. And they say, I'm going to turn to God. And, and perhaps God can free me of this situation. And God can. But if you come to God and you say, Lord, I, I want you to forgive me right now. I want you to help me get back to the life I once lived. That's not what God is about. He wants to free you from that old life. He wants to give you a new life in Christ Jesus. He wants you to turn your life around so you can be a new creature filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, His Son and His daughter. Jesus tells this man as he approaches him with his very repentant approach, he says, son, we may be in a grave situation. We may be going to face death today, but I'm going to give you a little bit of hope. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And when we come to Jesus Christ, knowing that our sin is what got us in the condition we're in, and we say, Lord, forgive me for the sin. Help me to turn my life around. Help me get on the straight and narrow path. Jesus Christ, he will forgive you and he will tell you that you can have paradise with him if you will but repent and have those sins put under the blood this paradise
Ananias that Jesus was speaking to when he spoke to this thief. We can know it commonly as heaven, the kingdom of God. These two thieves, because the lifestyles they had lived, the sins they had committed, when they were put on that cross, their names were not in the book of life. The one man, he was unrepentant, even unto his death. He still did not. But the other thief, who was just as guilty as the first, he understood. He said, I've sinned. I've done wrong. I lived a lifestyle that did not bring God glory. And because of his repentant approach, because he was able to say, Jesus, if you will remember me when you get in your kingdom, Jesus promised him paradise. The question can be asked, why were the king of kings Why would the Lord alone? Why would God Almighty step down off of his throne, take on a robe of flesh, and live a life on this earth? And then ultimately take on the sins of the world and endure punishment such as he. The reason why is because he wanted a relationship with his creation. Because he desired communion with you and I. Because of sin that was in our life, God knew that, that, that there had to be a blood sacrifice. You see, the wages of sin is death. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all have been separated from that good shepherd. Under the law of Moses... Whenever a family would sin, they would bring an innocent lamb. They would take the best of their flock. They would pin it up. They would feed it, water it, and, and nourish it, make sure it was healthy. They would keep it shut up so they would know there was no sickness in this lamb. Then they would take the one that showed the most promise. They would bring it to the altar. The head of the household would place his right hand upon the head of that lamb and he would start to confess the sins that he had committed the past year. He would confess the sins of his wife and his children and all of those of his house. He would confess those sins and, and while he was naming those sins, that priest would take that knife and he would slice the throat of that little lamb. And it's a gruesome sight and that little lamb would just stand there and bleed out. But that blood was shed for a purpose. It was to push those sins ahead. Next year, they would have to do it all over again. Under the law of Moses, it was significant, sufficient for that blood to cover the sins, but it would not remove the sin. In order to remove the sin and the stain it places on our life, there was a need for a perfect, sinless human sacrifice. Blood of lambs and bullocks would not suffice to forgive us totally. In Isaiah 59 and 16, we find God, He is looking for a man who would become this perfect sacrifice. And, and this is the He's looking for an individual who would take the place of the ram and the bullocks. Isaiah 59 and 16 tells us, and he saw there was no man. And he wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness is sustained him. 
That is why Jesus Christ came to this earth. That is why God put on that robe of flesh. Because his arm is what brought salvation unto us. The Bible is truly an amazing book. And if you do not read your Bible daily, I would like to encourage you. Because even though it is such an old book, and many people will, will view it as outdated, when you start to read it, you start looking at your life situation, you read it with a, a prayer for heart, the Lord will speak to you through His Word. He will tell you how to handle situations that we're facing today through that book that is so old. It will still speak today as a lie. It's a manual of how we deliver our lives if we desire to join Jesus in paradise. Something I found interesting and I really liked when I found it, it even has a nice list of things that we are to avoid if you want to make heaven your home. I found a very concise list in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. Scripture tells us, Know you not that the unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God. They're not going to heaven. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortionists shall inherit the kingdom of God. When I came into this truth, I was raised in the church, but I did not receive a love for the things of God. I wanted to try what my friends at school done and the things that mom and dad had warned me that I don't need to try. I wanted to try it. So I decided that even as a young child I would not go repent. I would not go pray. And the reason being is because I had ministers in my life that had came through various evangelists. They would preach and they would, and they would, they would make this statement. They would say if you play games with God, he will turn you over to a reprobate mind. He will. And because I knew that one day I wanted to live for God, I was not going to risk becoming a reprobate. So I decided just to stay away from all of the Holy Ghost business I could. I wouldn't advise it, but that's what I decided to do. And so, there's another scripture that tells us if you Receive not a love for the truth. The Lord himself will send a strong delusion unto you that you might be damned. And I paid that price because I had been subjected to truth. I didn't want it. I didn't want anything to do with it. And whenever it came time for me, when I, when I woke up that morning, I looked around at my life and my life was a wreck. It was a grave situation. And I decided I need God in my life because I'm making a mess of it. When I started my journey to find God, I, I tried everything else and, and I could not see truth no matter how, I, how hard I tried. I, I could feel the Holy Ghost, but I could not see truth. And I prayed and I sought salvation diligently and thankfully the Lord opened my eyes. He allowed those scales to be removed from my eyes. But in that process, even that process I'm thankful for because I studied my Bible front to back. I read it front to back many times over. I would, say in my, I would lay in my bed after work before I would go to sleep and I would pray this prayer, Lord, I want you to speak to me through your word today before I close my Bible. There were some days I read all night long 
just to get up, brush my teeth, put on my clothes, and go to work. But the Lord spoke to me through that book. And this particular scripture, when I read it, I, I didn't understand some of these words because that's old English. And, and so I looked them up. And, and in order to make it easier for us tonight, I have looked it up in a Holman Christian Standard Bible. And I want to read these same scriptures to you. It says, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Be not deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or anyone practicing homosexuality. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, or verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. That list breaks it down a little easier for us. And if you find your lifestyle on that list, you will not find yourself in paradise after this life is over. Instead, Jesus himself warns us of the place to await those that do not embrace the kingdom of God. And, and we find that in Luke chapter 13, verses 23 through 28. And then one of them said unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And Jesus, he said unto them, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, shall seek to enter in and shall not be able when once the master of the house has risen up and has shut the door, you begin to stand without and knock on the door saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. You shall begin to say, we have eaten and drank in thy presence. Thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Whenever I read that last section of that scripture where it says there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, I can only imagine the worst of situations that would make people weep and wail a grave situation we're talking about the worst of pain the worst thing that you're ever facing that's what will make you weep and well and gnash your teeth and here if you do not find your name on that book of life you will find yourself in that situation it's a grave situation but I want to tell you today that Jesus Christ he changes grave situations he's able to turn it around so that you can have here you can hear to what? 
wash over our sins and to carry away that stain. We, because we was baptized in the name, we have been adopted into his family. He has filled us with his spirit and our situation has turned. It's no longer a grave situation. No matter what you're facing, if you have the power of the Holy Ghost, you have a hope of salvation. You have a hope of a better place waiting for you.
have been sanctified and justified and filled with the Spirit of God. That is when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now I want us to go to Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 6. Jesus Christ was crucified on a holiday. The holiday was coming up and they did not want the festivities to be marred by this battered, beaten corpse hanging on a cross. So they had told the family, the friend, that you must take the bodies down and dispose of them. So they have taken the body of Jesus Christ. They, it was a rush job. They had to quickly wrap him in cloth. And they had to take him to a borrowed tomb and lay him in there because they, they had plans to come back so that they could do it right and do it properly and put the right spices on it to embalm this body so the smells would not come out of that tomb as he was rotting. Luke chapter 24 and verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. They found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. They entered in and they found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass that they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And suddenly they were afraid and they bowed down their faces to the earth. And these two men in shining garments, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. You see, Jesus Christ faced that grave situation. But he did not stay there. He overcame the grave. Because he overcame the grave, when you and I are facing those grave situations in our, our lives and we allow the blood of Jesus Christ to wash over us and to fill us with His Spirit and we allow ourselves to learn to trust in Him, learn to study His Word, learn to have a relationship with Him. Whenever we are facing situations, we can turn to Him and say, God, we don't know what to do, but we're facing this situation. Help us. Help us right now. And Jesus Christ will change that grave situation. Sometimes you have to go through a fire. Sometimes that fire will purify impurities in our lives. But Jesus Christ will walk through you, through beside you, through that fire, and He will change your situation. Yes, yes. Today, as we stand across this building, I want to ask that question to each of you, just like the angels asked to that group coming to embalm Jesus. Why seek ye the living among them? Today, you are seeking life, you're not going to find it amongst the dead and in sin. Many of us here today can say we have tried the world and what it has to offer, and I can tell you it does not offer life. So I want to ask everyone here today that if you are seeking life, why don't you try Jesus Christ? You tried everything else. Why don't you try God? I ask you to find that altar of repentance and say, Lord, I, you know my situation. I don't know where else to turn, if you will, but turn my life around. Don't be unrepentant like that thief and just say, Lord, just save me so I can go back to that lifestyle. Pray and say, Lord, I want you to change it because the direction I've been traveling has not been working in times past. And it's not 
not going to work if you keep going. Only the blood of Jesus Christ, only a life filled with the Holy Ghost will make your life better. Today, if you are here, you may have the Holy Ghost, but you may be facing some grave situations in your life. I want to tell you, turn back to that first love. Ask Jesus to help you. Ask Him to wash you, to re-sanctify, to re-cleanse, to refill, and allow yourself to see what He has in store. Sometimes when we face situations, we think that we got it figured out. We know what God should do. Many times God doesn't take our suggestions. I'd say most of the time he doesn't take mine. Today, if you are facing situations in your life, I ask you to find an altar. Find an altar and repent for not trusting Jesus. Say, Lord, help me to trust you. Increase my faith in you, my hope. Today, let's lift our hands across this building. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask you right now, Lord, to, to allow the word to touch someone's heart, God. Lord, I ask you, Lord, to send forth your angels, Lord, to draw the hearts and minds, Lord, God, to that place that you can deal with in this way. You can work in their situation, God, so that they can see you turn their lives around, God. Lord, I ask you right now, Lord, to allow us to go forth from this place, Lord, with the testimonies on our lips, God, so that we can tell others we're facing the same situations, God, so that they may have hope for salvation in you. Lord, I ask you to touch those who are lost. Lord, allow them to have the courage, God, to step out, to repent of their sins, Lord, and to find that place of repentance, Lord, to turn their lives around, God, so that you can take control. Lord, I praise you and I worship you this day in Jesus' name. I cannot pray for you. It would be nice and be wonderful if we could, but we cannot. Whenever we turn to God, it's got to be between you and God. I want to open these altars this evening. I don't know what we're doing with this whole COVID business. I don't, I don't even much care anymore. But if you feel confident to come to the front, to this altar, the place that has been sanctified and dedicated to God, I ask you to come and repent, to turn to God, to allow Him to strengthen you to strengthen him, his, his, his control over your life, to strengthen you so that you may be able to see. If you're here and you need the Holy Ghost, I ask you to come to the church. You're not alone now. The whole church is coming up here. Come up here and find life. Shine death, shine sin. Turn to Jesus Christ and let him give you that life and that life that abundance, that is more abundant. Let's worship today.